when I became a mom, I really, really, really thought I would love it like so much. Like it would be, you know, complete, I'd be complete, like my purpose. Right. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, wait, (laughs) this is really fucking hard. And I actually really like my independence. I forgot and didn't really realize how much my independence mattered to me and freedom. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Carve Your Own Fucking Path, a podcast made to inspire you to create a life and business on your own terms. You'll hear candid interviews with people who have boldly decided to blaze their own trail and the occasional solo show with me, your host. I'm Willa McDonough, on-camera coach, storyteller, and remote video producer. Five years ago, I moved from my home base of San Francisco to the coast of Portugal, taking a big leap into the unknown. Some called it courageous, I called it carving my own fucking path. Today I live in Lisbon and run a business that elevates your online presence, helping you show up confidently on camera to create videos that showcase your brand and personality so you can get more visibility and attract clients by being yourself. If you're just starting out in business or you've been doing it for a while, you're sure to pick up tidbits of actionable advice and hopefully feel inspired by stories from people who have chosen the unconventional and sometimes messy path. And if you've been waiting for a sign to start carving your own fucking path, this is it. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly Brush. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for taking the time. You're a doula and a birth educator. You have been traveling and being an entrepreneur at the same time, mother of two, and you have a lot to share, I know, on many different things. I always like to start with a bit of your backstory. This is you know, about carving your own path, but also looking at where you are now, kind of connecting the dots a little bit, mm-hmm. which they do connect ultimately. Even if it doesn't, they do like when it. you look back at it yeah. in hindsight, but sometimes in, in the middle of it, it's like, what am I doing? Why am I here? I'm in the, the dark, the dark hole. And I definitely had lot, lots of yeah. those moments. <laughs> you did. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, well, yeah. so just like a little intro of myself. Um, yeah. In the past. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Start um, wherever you want. Sure. I um, have always been a helper and, um, an educator. And, um, it's funny because we learned right before we started recording that we both went to TAM, which is like a high school in Northern California, very like open-minded liberal. And I feel like it, um, you know, it obviously made a, a big difference in just like my mindset, but one of the opportunities I had at TAM was to join, um, this group called peer resource where I learned how to basically teach my peers about sex education, birth control. I would take um, my peers to the teen clinic, get them set up on birth Mm. control, pregnancy testing, like, you know, and then like cry in the car and like a lot of emotional sort of support. And I just loved it. And I believed in it. And I thought it was really important that teens like knew about their bodies and how to go get, you know, healthcare that they needed. And I loved the one-on-one of that. Um, And I went on to school and studied psychology, went and got my master's in counseling and kind of like thought that was more my path, like a traditional path. Um, and I, 
I did that for quite some time, but it was once I had babies myself that I really realized that, oh my gosh, someday I really want to help women and families in this space and um, make it, make a difference around um, just like the experience of birth, because how the healthcare setting traditionally supports women and families through birth. It's like you're coming and you're sick and there's a problem when in fact birth is like a normal, healthy part of being a human. And, and sometimes there are some like higher risk situations, but most of the time, not so much. And so um, I knew that I would someday probably enter birth work of some capacity, but it just wasn't the time for me in life at all. I had a little baby myself. Meanwhile, I was married and my husband had a career that he was pursuing and he was going to get a PhD and I needed to make money and I needed to be a mom. And so I had these dreams and this vision of how to apply um, creating little businesses when I was young and you know, a lot of like babysitting and counseling and coming up with like babysitters club as a kid. So I always sort of had those entrepreneurship sort of energy, but um, yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't really do it at the time. And also, you know, have the goal of our family, like my husband getting his PhD and having kids. So I went on. Yeah. I'm curious. Sorry. So I'm going to go farther back, back to high school. Oh yeah because I do remember the peer resources and, you know, like the, the people that took charge and really were there to like, not be the teacher, but be one of, again, a peer, but create a space where there was this comfort level around talking about sex. Yeah. When most people were doing it badly, I don't know, but just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) these days I know it's much different. There's so much more content out there and less, Mm -hmm. hopefully less like stigma or shame, but were you sexually active in high school? Did you ha- come from that place? Okay. So you were already I, like, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm just curious if. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I, um, I became sexually active, like probably sophomore years and then right around then, like, you know, joined peer resource. And also I have a, like a very open relationship with my mom. And so it wasn't like Mm -hmm. I came from a sheltered place and like, just had to figure this out through school. Like I already had the support kind of at home. And, but I, I realized that a lot of my friends didn't have that same kind of like openness or awareness. I also have always just been fascinated by like the body and human development. And I was that like nerdy kid that like got the book, you know, in fifth grade about your changing body and like mm-hmm. what, <laughs> how to know your period's coming. I'm like, yay, I want my period. Like that's just me through and through. Okay. Um, yes, that's what I was curious so, about. Yeah. So I've always just been like open, <laughs> interested, curious, fascinated, and also surprised by how many people are not. I'm just like, yeah. this stuff kind of matters. Like it really mm-hmm. can shape lives. And, 
you know, there's a lot of problems with um, how teens and women are supported through their sexuality, healthcare, family planning decisions, all this kind of stuff that's like very disempowered and riddled with like racism and patriarchy. And the more, the more people that are just like aware of where it's broken and where you have agency in the process, like the more we can push the needle and make, mm-hmm. make it better. Right. So I've always looked, looked at, um, just like women's health, public health, and just like the human experience from a place of like, it could be better. And mm-hmm. when you actually know that and then think you're worthy of better then you know, big things can happen and it can really shape your life in a different path. Definitely. I really believe that. Yeah. Yes. So let's touch on the, the worth, the self-worth yeah, a bit, which is a huge, you know, huge conversation, but you're bringing it up as it sounds like you recognize this from a young age about when you value yourself, you feel like you're worth it. And that shows up in healthcare in sex, right? If you're being reckless or careless, it's a bit of a reflection of, okay, maybe you don't feel that you're worthy, So was this something that you were conscious of then about your body and that you deserved a certain level of care? I think so. I don't know if it was conscious. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely believed that, um, you know, I didn't want like to get pregnant or STDs (laughs) and that like, yeah, I... I was worthy of like a respectful partner, even in high school. Like my, I had a boyfriend. It was like mm-hmm. my long-term high school boyfriend, you know, we lost our virginities to each other. So there was like kind of some reverence in the experience, mm-hmm. I guess, although super fucking awkward and like <laughs> lame, you know, but, yeah. um, yeah. but still from that vantage point, I would say I did expect things from him, communicate things and held, you know, held myself to, um, a standard. Sometimes, sometimes (laughs) you're just a dumb teenage girl, right? (laughs) Moving on to college. So, um, yeah, yeah. but I would say I, my worth has grown over time, but that I just really, yeah, I just, did feel like respect. I felt like respect mm-hmm. was required. Mm-hmm. And the more I respected the myself, the more I expected others to respect me. Right. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And so then the counseling that you were doing is so you went into that field. So mm-hmm. you knew you really loved this one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Were you, were you counseling anything specific? Yeah. So I ended up working at a university at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, I was doing academic and career counseling, um, but mostly it was like my primary focus was the kids that were on their way of getting kicked out of college or on their way back in after getting kicked out. So it was like a lot of the students that were struggling, um, Mm -hmm. for one reason or another and, um, work, you know, helping them through, through that point in their journey. Mm -hmm. And then regarding family and everything like Mm -hmm. that, were you thinking that you definitely wanted children, that that was something that you had on your plan, let's just say. 
It was. Yeah. I definitely had it on my plan. Um, once I had one, I kind of was like, Whoa, (laughs) this is maybe I'm good here. (laughs) Like (laughs) before I had one, it was like, Oh, I want a big family and lots of kids. And my husband felt the same way. And then we had one and we're like, Ooh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) Yeah. We do have two, but the second one was not a planned pregnancy. So, um, yeah, so we had an adjustment there. Um, it's working out great now, but it was really a hard time. Yeah. Yes. What is the age, the age difference? They're three years apart. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, could you touch on your birth story? Yeah. Your experience? Yeah. Well, you know, having the mindset that I did, I, I knew quite early on in my pregnancy, I would get a doula for my, um, for my birth. And should I say what a doula is or would your audience know that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so a doula is a non-medical person that comes into your birth and supports you emotionally, physically, and provides education. So, um, it's not somebody that's handling like the medical care. It, I like to say, you know, your doctor, your midwife is caring for the baby. Uh, Your doula is caring for you and your experience and your doula is teaching you, you know, they're not hired by a medical system or your doctor, they're hired by you. And so Mm -hmm. there's no, um, like strings attached to the system. And we do of course have standards of care and like go through (laughs) a training process and certification, but it's not regulated in the way that the healthcare system is. And it gives us um, a bit, a lot more autonomy and the ability to just be like, frank and direct about what we see. And we see a lot. Um, We, you know, get to watch firsthand providers in action and get to see all the different providers and how they approach things in all the different hospitals. So a lot of times we like know a lot more than, you know, a nurse would know who just works with one team, one hospital sort of thing. Um, But anyways, okay. So you go go in, you go into appointments and you you're kind of a a partner a a birth partner but through the entire pregnancy or is it at a certain stage that you step in yeah um most people hire me once they get into their second trimester Mm -hmm. um so by then they're feeling like okay I'm definitely pregnant and it's like getting real and it's time to start thinking about the birth a little bit more so it's really common for people to call me when they're like 16, 17, 18 weeks pregnant. Um, and I, I do three prenatal visits with them. So I do, um, like a lot of prenatal education with them. We talk about, you know, making a birth plan and it's not like planning your birth so that you can control it, but it's more of a tool to understand what are all the options and all the situations you could find yourselves in, in birth. Like, what will the hospital experience be like from the point of like walking through the door to leaving and all of the interventions that might be offered to you and why and why you would accept and decline and all of that. So lots of education around that, as well as just teaching both like the pregnant person and their partner how to support each other through the sensations of labor. Um, so how to, you know, help them through a contraction, how to create a mood, like where on the body to literally like press, rub, squeeze to be able to help 
you know, mitigate and bring down the, the strong sensations of those contractions. So hands-on kind of stuff, um, as well as postpartum planning too. I mean, that's a big part of what I, I like to touch on as a birth doula, because yes, the birth really matters. It really matters, but so does postpartum. And there's a lot, a lot that can happen there too. Yeah. So yeah, so I do work with them and I do that either virtually or in their home, um, sometimes a combination of both. I don't usually go to appointments with my clients to their doctor's visits, but they usually call me like right after and tell me everything that happened. And, you know, their doctors give them like three minutes to ask a question and they're like, I don't really understand and I didn't feel like I had time. And so I get to help unpack a lot of that with them and okay. prep them for the next appointment and what to ask and how to phrase it and that sort mm. of thing too. So it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so in your experience, you have a doula, yeah. you're having a kid for the first time. Of course you can read all the books, right. And, and, uh, have the birth plan and then you're actually going through it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you went through it, did, when, did, a couple, I mean, maybe two questions, but when did you have, like, is there a defining moment where you're like, this is what I'm meant to do? Mm. That came my, with my second child more than my first child. Um, just cause my first birth, I really did put a lot of intention into it and get a lot of support. Um, and I, I thought it was like the most badass, crazy, amazing thing I'd ever done in my life. And I was so proud and my birth didn't go exactly to plan, but like pretty, pretty damn close. And so I felt just like pretty positive about it, but my second birth did not go that way. And it, I was living in a new state. I had a new doula. She was amazing, but the baby was breech and there were all these things that like, basically were out of my control. Um, and I thought like, should be in my control, you know, I'm like educated and empowered and all this sort of stuff and had the doula and the right resources. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? Like, Mm -hmm. I thought I set myself up for success here. And, um, that was another important life lesson that had to come my way to show me that there's a difference between like preparation and control. And I feel like I really needed to have that experience before going into birth work because I understand that like firsthand personally, that preparing for your birth is not about getting a certain outcome in your birth. We hope for a good outcome or the outcome that you want, but that's actually not the purpose and how to manage expectations prenatally about the birth experience. And I really come at it from a place that like, if you feel like you consented to each and everything that happened to you in your pregnancy and birth, regardless of the outcome, you're gonna feel good about it because you were a part of that. And that's a way of talking about birth preparation and the actual birth experience that's different that I don't think I would have been capable of doing after my first. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. And as, so then it's second pregnancy. That's when you had a bit of this realization. This is the path that I'm supposed to take. Yeah, it was, it was afterwards. I, and then I, you know, I had a hard birth and then I went into a pretty tough postpartum as well. And um, that you know, was, was really my, 
kind of darkest point was when my baby was probably about like six months, seven months old. And just, I wasn't, um, I wasn't in alignment in my life. Like I wasn't really putting my desires first. I was giving over too much to too many people in too many places. Mm -hmm. And it was like meltdown central. It was like, you're holding on tight, 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 sort of like getting by day by day, but surviving, not thriving. Um, Mm -hmm. it was that. So, um, I, when I first got into birth work, I started on the postpartum side actually. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I had really wanted to use more my counseling experience to do postpartum coaching and work with women after baby on identity, self-worth, you know, understanding your desires and how those desires practically play out during this really like hard time of life where there isn't logistically a lot of space or energy for yourself, but how, how can we find it? And why are you worthy of even finding it? Mm. So that's the work I, I dived into immediately when I first Mm -hmm. left, um, you know, my other work to be able to like move into birth work traditionally. So but then I, I got a major wrench thrown into me and my husband got a postdoc offer in France that mm. would require our family to move to France. And wow. um, I had just started my business and was getting clients and it was like, oh, I'm finally doing my entrepreneurship thing. This is amazing. And then it was like, oh, you could move to France in two months if you want and have this amazing experience. And I was like, well, yeah, I really want to do that too. Like that sounds amazing too. So we did, um, but it definitely put a a new twist on my entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. journey by doing that too. Okay. I mean, this is, I I don't have any children. So the thought of having a three-year-old, I'm guessing three or four, and then, you know, (laughs) six months old or a year. And being yeah. an entrepreneur, that's a lot. <laughs> and yeah. having a husband going through it was. school. Yeah, yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. So, okay. Yeah. I, again, the self, the worth, come, the self-worth comes up again, because you are then coaching women specifically that are going through this time. So when you say postpartum, mm-hmm. that, um, I mean, it's okay, post-birth, but I've heard of, and most people have, I think, postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. So is that sort of what you mean? Like you're helping them with the the hormonal shifts, I guess, or the, I don't know, is there some distinctive things that, that happen? Yeah. Um, well, postpartum depression is, is really, really common as is postpartum anxiety. And mm. these are, um, and postpartum anxiety is even more diagnosed and, and common than postpartum depression. Um, and it is a clinical diagnosis, you know, due to hormones can be medicated and, um, you definitely need to see like a doctor or a psychiatrist to get diagnosed with that treated for that. That is not me. I wasn't doing Mm -hmm. clinical, um, kind of work. So my space would be more for somebody who, um, you know, doesn't have that clinical diagnosis, but like definitely feels like they're treading water each and every day and really perhaps suffering from this reshape of identity of who they were before having a child to who they are now and struggling to find any time for themselves and like really having like quality time with themselves. I always say like, it's really sweet to go carve out time for like a mani-pedi, but like, Mm -hmm. Are you really 
digging deep into the, the, you know, the deeper stuff, like a mani petty can be great, but what's the intention here? Are we like, or like going for wine night with your friends, like feels so good, but like, what's the intention behind that? Are we numbing or are we releasing like mm-hmm. lots, lots of just like digging deeper into, um, how, how we care for ourselves during this really stressful time of life of being a new parent and navigating, you know, your identity, your relationship with your partner, your like logistics of yourself, like how do you take care of yourself? It's just a lot. So that's the kind of stuff I was working on. And I would do these 10 session packages with my clients. So we would meet at first every week and then like split out to every two weeks and then have a monthly up until the end, take across, I think it was like three or four months and really beautiful Mm -hmm. experience. And, and before, when I moved to France, I, you know, could move it virtually the, um, the sessions, but this was like pre-COVID where not everybody was about virtual mm-hmm. um, counseling in that way, right? And I also had a massive time zone to work with too that I found really, really challenging. So mm-hmm. especially with the kids at home and then I like didn't have childcare for a while. So it petered off um, until I moved back to the States. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, curious about identity with you and your experience with being someone who's there for others and helping solve problems. I mean, essentially that's what you're doing. Yeah. In your own experience, what, like being a mom, how did that change or did that change your identity? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, I always seek support and help through counselors and coaching myself. Like when I need a tune up, Um, Mm -hmm. I literally think of it like that, like counseling to me is like the equivalent of your car's oil change. Like you, it has to be done every once in a while just to create some pause and space in your life to reflect. So I'm always committed to that for myself. Um, and you know, I, so I'm, I'm like willing to show up and do the work. Um, I, when I became a mom, I really, really, really thought I would love it like so much. Like it would be, you know, complete, I'd be complete, like my purpose. Right. Yep. And yep. I, then it was like, oh, wait, <laughs> this is really fucking hard. And I actually really like my independence. I forgot and didn't really realize how much my independence mattered to me and freedom. So a lot of like wrestling with that and needing to, and then you have like mom guilt too, because there's the comparison game with how other people are showing up as Mm -hmm. mothers and families. And so, yeah, a lot of work on like releasing mom guilt, understanding what my desires and needs actually are. And then also then how to actually ask for them, Um, both like admit it to myself, I'm worthy, and then ask for the support I need from my husband, from my family, prioritizing money to spend, to ask, you know, get help, that sort of thing um, was a process and always is a process, but I've done some things in motherhood that I know a lot of other people haven't done to take care of myself. Like the most extreme example is when I was in France, I 
I had this opportunity to join a friend to go get my yoga teacher training in Bali, but it would require me to go for a month. And when she asked me if I would come with her, I was like, uh, I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old and I'm living in France and I'm barely working and my husband's at work all day. So no, I absolutely can't come. And she's like, are you sure? <laughs> and I went, no, actually, I'm not sure. Let me think about this for a little while. And I thought about it and I'm like, well, do I really want this? Yeah, I really want it. And actually my kids are in preschool. And like, we have some friends that could maybe help and I'm not working and I have some time. Like it wasn't that expensive because it was like, yeah, in Bali, which has had a cheap program and stuff. And so I went to my husband and I said, I want to do this. And he's like, I'm so proud of you for asking. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, I just he got was. The chills. Yeah. So he was cool. just like so proud that I asked. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. I knew he would support me, but it was like a really cool first thing for him to say. So yeah, I went and did that for a month and you better believe I was the only mom in that group of 25 I bet. people. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what about the mom guilt or a different kind of guilt, I guess, for leaving? Yeah. Did you experience I that? I had a little bit um, leading up to it. Um, yeah, a little bit, but I felt that if I was working towards empowering women to prioritize their needs and, mm -hmm. you know, ask for the things that they want in life, that I have to do the same. And I had already had plenty of practice up to that point of saying like, I need the morning off to exercise or like, I'm going to go away for the weekend or have a girl's day, or I need to go like get journal or something in the woods, like whatever. I've had enough practice doing that. This was the next level step for me and the next big ask. And so I felt like I needed to challenge myself to do it, um, to keep growing and evolving and, and what I'm, you know, teaching other, other people to do for themselves. So it wasn't mm -hmm. easy breezy to go do it. I took a social media hiatus the whole time I was there because I just didn't even want the energy of like, she's in Bali she right now. Like, what's she doing? Isn't she a mom? Like, how can they afford that? Like, I didn't want all of those sort of judgments. I didn't even like tell a lot of my family I was going, but mm -hmm. I knew I would, once it was done and everybody was safe and good and it worked out, I would share more afterwards. And so yeah, that's how I, that's how I managed it. Good for you. That takes yeah. so much courage it did. on so many different levels all the you know things you mentioned because you're doing something that ultimately is for everyone else's benefit too yeah that's the thing so many yeah. people it's this martyr you know i'm going to be there and of course you're there you're there all the time but this is also going to be an enriching experience which then is passed down and then you're modeling for your children do you have da daughters daughters so, yeah okay i don't mm -hmm. know why i had this feeling they were daughters so you're yeah. setting such a good example a good segue or a good, um, not segue, but just time to ask about something that I'm so curious about being a person that doesn't have children, mm -hmm. it, you know, at an age where it's either like you might have to adopt, you know, or it may not happen, let's say. And for me, it's the partnership that would be number one. I do have a few friends that have done it on their own, which is very 
courageous as well. And so for you, in, you thought that having kids would complete you or, you know, sort of fulfill you in some way. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, I, the question is ultimately, do you feel that it did <laughs> or that, <laughs> I don't know, because coming, um, I've, I've spoken to someone about regret. He's an expert in regret. Mm. And I asked the same thing. What is, you know, as someone who has not had children, but I'm future, I'm jumping ahead when I'm 80 and saying, I wish I did, you know, the one thing in life, the most natural thing to do is to have children and it didn't happen for me. So it's almost like, what can you tell other women out there and men? Because I I have this conversation a lot with people that are my age and they're like, I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm, it makes me sad, you know, that it might not, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I would say about that is that, um, yes, there are lots of ways to create a family now that is um, really a privilege of our generation and something new that other generations didn't always have access to. And it comes with a whole nother bag of questions, logistics, um, questions of like privilege and access and also, um, yeah, just like the option to even ask the question brings up, you know, a lot, right. Um, as a doula, I've supported families who have, have done like IVF later in life. Like my, one of my, my first client actually was 49 years old, having her first baby, um, So I'm seeing firsthand, just like from the doula perspective of how this, um, like both shows up in like mindset and approach and pregnancy and birth, and then also witnessing firsthand, like the postpartum experience and all of that. So I'm, I'm seeing how common it is. And I experienced this both here in California and when I was doing doula work in Oklahoma. So these kinds Mm. of questions are, um, are questions that people are asking all over the country and all over the world. So I think normalizing it first and foremost is really important that, um, this is a new, new territory to be navigating and there isn't a right way forward. And much like every single decision in life, there isn't one way it's like the way for you right Mm -hmm. and being able to have ways of sitting with yourself and knowing yourself and your heart and what your body tells you to be able to help be that compass for the direction and the path that you you do want to go in life and you know really trying to look at and examine what your own true desires are versus what society and culture's desires are for you. I feel like this, I haven't experienced this firsthand, but I would imagine that would be one of the biggest parts of this journey. If you're in this like questioning kind of place of where, what to do, you know, with, do I want children? Do I not? Is like really understanding your own desires versus societies or family and then just like owning what you do decide and also being okay with changing your mind too right okay we don't have to pretend that we've made a decision and we never 
question that decision. Like this is very black and white thinking. I have to challenge myself every day, not to live in black and white thinking and just to be comfortable with gray areas and changing minds and like seeing put both points of view. Um, but of course with like having a child, you have a child, then you have a child, right. Mm -hmm. Um, or you (laughs) don't have a child and that window is passed and you don't have a child. Right. Um, again, I feel like if you're making a conscious decision either way, you're going to work, work it out. It won't be perfect. It's not like your fairy tale will be complete one way or another, but Mm -hmm if you're making those decisions from a place of like groundedness and intention, you'll make the right decision for you. Right. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is that black and white kind of thinking that gets in the way a lot of the time, because sometimes it, it's all up here for me a lot of the time, or it's a feeling, a twinge it's, and, and I guess it's, um, and I, again, have had this conversation a lot where, some days it sounds great. Other days it's a hell no. It, thank God I don't, you know, the freedom thing you brought up is, is so huge because I mean, I live in Portugal. I've made decisions on my own. I don't, you know, it's the ultimate freedom in a lot of ways. So it is a, it's always going to be a sacrifice, I think. So yeah, I really, the one thing that motherhood and parenthood has done for me. And I think my, and I know my husband would agree Um, I mean, the day to day is, is intense when they're little. I mean, it's just like, Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody that's like, this is fun. Like it's, they're very sweet and and wonderful and you love them so, so much, but like the day to day is a grind and it is that way for a season of your life. Um, but as somebody like myself, who's so interested in like personal development, growth, the spiritual path, like knowing more, going deeper, my children allow that me to experience that in a way that no other, I can't imagine another, Mm. another thing could trigger me. And I mean, like Mm. the deepest work in the hardest ways, like not the fun personal development, like the real hard fucking look in the mirror when your three-year-old starts bossing your husband around their dad and you realize she's saying, she is saying to him what I say to him, (laughs) you know, like that's a surface example, but, (laughs) and you're just like, oh my God. (laughs) So if you're willing and interested in like some looking at yourself hard in the mirror and really working on releasing like even like intergenerational trauma and not repeating the patterns of your you know your parents or your ancestors and like breaking breaking that cycle um it can be really amazing to go through the exercise of parenting um for that purpose too. And I think that's something that I don't hear a lot of people talking about, but I think about all the time. Mm -hmm. That is so, so true. It's the biggest mirror. We know our relationships are, but then seeing how, yeah, you're completely the, the everything to this person 
as well. So like, that's a lot of responsibility, but also it comes with that, the love and the, you know, the joy and everything else. So, uh, yeah, that was really well said. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And so for you in your, in your process, I guess, um, after that experience, going back to Bali, yeah, for example, so coming back and did you, what, what other realizations did you have as far as like, okay, showing up and asking for what you need, you know, people kind of stepping in, did everything fall into place? Yeah, it did. And now I'm remembering something, another really sweet thing my husband said before I left, I was dealing with some of this mom guilt and he was like, <laughs> okay, so are you really going to go to Bali and have this like immersion experience where you have this opportunity for immense spiritual growth and like releasing and learning and you're going to spend that whole time just dealing with mom guilt come on you've already worked through some of that shit like please don't spend a month working through your mom guilt can you just handle that right now and like go deeper when you go to bali and i was like mm -hmm. oh so good that is so good so I really, I mean, I wouldn't say I released it completely and it was not never present, but that did stick with me to allow myself to like be even more vulnerable. Um, so everything, yes, did work out on the home front while I was gone. I do think that a lot of this has to do with like me trying to control how my children are on the day-to-day -day and like what they eat and their schedules and, you know, all that. And it's like, that's, that's cool to create those boundaries, but also children need to learn how to exist in all kinds of environments and with all kinds of parents and guides and learn lessons that aren't provided just by me. And so it's just healthy for kids. It also is healthy for my husband because he's like in control and he's, you know, getting his experience to bond with his kids without me being like, Ooh, um, <laughs> we need broccoli with that meal, um, you know, just dumb stuff like that. So it's good for everybody. Um, but yeah, for me, like I, I was able to clear out and go, go to dark, like dark, deep places in Bali because I allowed myself to. And I think because I had kids at home, I'm like, had this extra motivation to really make it worth my time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, really take it seriously. Like I really worked hard in my teacher training program. It was like the most physically challenging thing I'd ever put myself in, in my life. Mm. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah. Rec wow. Like C-section recovery to, mm. to births, like soft mama, just like trying to go for like spiritual connectedness, but it's like, no, you need to chaturanga right now. And I'm like, yeah. oh, like <laughs> on my knees, you mean? <laughs> Girl, nope. Nope. <laughs> Eight hours a day. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, it was physically challenging, which brought up all kinds of opportunity to work through some shit. So it was very worthwhile. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend people doing stuff like that for themselves if they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. And yeah, the time thing is, is also something I'm curious about too, because when you have so much time, when you don't have kids, let's say mm -hmm. to then going from it, pretty much the most extreme shift you could ever go through 
So is your time away from them or in general, are you able to look at time and how you spend it and what's Mm. worthy differently? Mm. Like when I was away from them for the month, I mean, even in general Mm -hmm. with, because I think that sometimes like, I just have so much time, you know, like to do these things. But when you don't have the time because you're, it's dedicated to raising a human, Mm. you know, how does that shift? Yeah. Well, when I do have my time, like where I'm not on as mom, I use that time really efficiently because there's, Mm. (laughs) I'd say I'm actually way more productive and motivated um, and intentional with my time because there is less of it just for me. And so I, I do think it helps me like as an entrepreneur, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, being an entrepreneur while raising young kids is really, really challenging and exhausting and hard, but at the same time, you're super efficient, um, in, you know, okay, I only have two hours to do my social media planning for the month. So I'm going to get it done in those two hours instead of just being able to like, oh, I could do it later today or tomorrow even. Um, but I <laughs> yeah. think this is a personality thing too. Like if you're lean towards procrastination, um, having kids could help fix that, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty efficient with my yeah. spare time or even, um, my personal time too. Like I know my kids are going to wake up, you know, at seven. So if I want quiet time in the morning for a cup of coffee and a 10 minute meditation, like I have to get up at six and get it done or else it's not happening that day. I couldn't just do it later. Right. So it does create, I think some more um, restrictions, but maybe with opportunity too, with the right mindset. Mm-hmm. And in your relationship, how did having kids shift that dynamic? I know that many people don't make it through. Yeah. That. Yeah. Well, we work really, really, really hard at it. Really hard at it. Um, and I'm very proud of that. And I have a partner who's willing to communicate, go to counseling when needed, you know, I'm obsessed with counseling. Like I, I do it as a tune-up for me and I do it as a tune-up for our marriage. Like it's, to me, it's a non-negotiable and he has pretty much always been on board for that too. So I feel fortunate for that. And it wasn't like a hard convince to get him to want to examine our relationship and talk about things. So, um, learning how to communicate with each other has been probably the biggest thing and practicing and then like relearning the lesson we learned four years ago all over again and just being willing to keep trying um and then also just like a lot of taking turns you know before when there wasn't kids we could kind of pursue our own stuff out in the world in the day and then come back together and it's like sweet but when you have kids, there's just not that same logistics. So, um, there's been a lot of like needing to take turns for each other's dreams and goals. And I I would say he does that more gracefully than I do. (laughs) (laughs) I, I supported him through getting a PhD and his postdoc and moving all around 
the country and the world for that while putting my dreams on hold. And I did it, but I wasn't always like the most graceful about that. And it's only been in the last two years that it's been my time to be able to like him, you know, actually have the full-time job with the benefits and me be able to start really pursuing entrepreneurship in like a full-time kind of way. Um, so it's really nice. I feel like I'm in my time right now and he's been really gracious about it after all these years of it being his time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's big. And, yeah. and why entrepreneurship for you? <sighs> I think it's, it's twofold. Like one is I don't want to I don't want to be part of a system that already has like it defined and rules because I feel confined in that. And I feel like you're more limited when you're part of a system to like really make potential, like reach your potential to help people reach their potential. So like, for example, as a counselor in a university system, like just a lot of policies, procedures, red tape, like all that kind of stuff that you spend so much of your time doing admin or like logistics instead of like actually doing the work. So that really annoyed me always, um, just like about practicing like in the helping professions in a system. Um, So I feel like you can have more of an impact. But the other part of it too is entrepreneurship is also a creative endeavor and it's a chance to let your creativity come out. And it's also personal development in itself too, because you're really challenged all the time. It's another opportunity to look in the mirror, to examine your habits, your default thinking. So I feel like for me, it's, it's very challenging. It's definitely not the easy, simple path. Sometimes I wish I could just be like simple and like take a paycheck and be good Mm -hmm. with that. But, um, I've tried that route and I'm not. So, um, I guess this is just like the way, way to go (laughs) this way, but I love, I love the networking aspect of it. I love the creativity. I love the freedom. Um, and I think it's really conducive to parenthood too, even though it's kind of intense, but you're also creating your life and you can do so with intention and it can be beautiful. So it's good for now. See how long it goes. Well, I think, I think you're going to do just fine. And, and I've seen your, you know, your website and I think it's, it's just beautiful because it's about kind of writing your own birth story, but again, it's not about control. It's about, you know, coming with this intention and also going back to the self-worth you're worth it, you know, to really put this time and energy and focus into creating the biggest moment of your life. Yeah. And, and how you want that to kind of look and feel. And you did just touch on, on a, you know, something you're proud of, which is in your relationship, but what would you say is something that you're the most proud of right now? Hmm. Well, I'm the most proud of starting my birth doula, um, business like by far, I started it when I was living in Oklahoma, which wasn't a place I knew I wanted to actually live in for the long term. Um, And like old pattern thinking would have just said, well, just wait to start your business to your living where you want to live because starting a physical business isn't 
I do have an online component for the education piece, but like birth doula, I'm in the hospital or the birth center or your home with you. Like it's gotta be in person. So, um, why start that in a place you don't want to live? And I had, I was telling myself that old story time and time again, and I don't know what it was, but just, oh, I do know what it was. He almost got a job offer in California two years ago. And then it didn't go through last minute. And I was just like devastated, like on the floor crying. And then I was just had to pick myself back up to be like, well, there is purpose in being here still in Oklahoma. What are you going to do with it? And I had two dreams at that time. One was to buy our first house and two was to start my doula business finally. And I just said, I'm going to just go ahead and do both and pursue both and see where it goes. There's something to learn in it. And I'll just deal with it later. If we move in a year, it's fine. And I did both those things. Like we bought our first house and I started my doula business and I did it anyways, even though it didn't feel like practical on paper and both was a huge success. My doula business Got, I got booked up completely within like three months of starting my doula mm. business and to practice doula support in a place like Oklahoma, where, you know, women's rights are like bottom of the barrel. And mm. um, there's just a lot of like disempowerment in the birth process, a lot of health disparities, a lot of just like overt racism and access issues and to be able to show up and do birth work and to meet the incredible other like pioneers in Oklahoma who are literally out there, like making themselves vulnerable by doing this work because it's threatening to the systems. Mm -hmm. These people are really, we're a privilege to be able to work amongst and to learn from while I was there. So I'm just like, so proud for going for it and starting up my business. The universe delivered me clients and I had an amazing, like amazing learning experiences while I was there. And, um, getting to experience birth and then now bringing this business to San Diego. And, you know, my client calendar is already filling up here and I've lived here for like three and a half weeks. And so I'm just very, I know (laughs) I'm just very proud of trusting my gut and instinct and also, um, yeah, just like owning what I want and saying it and going for it. So, Hmm. yeah. Well done. That is, yeah, that's a lot. Again, you, you can't, there's like, I don't know. Well, maybe you, you would agree, but timing is everything. Yes. So in that, what was, I mean, if you were to give advice to someone else and they kind of said the same thing, look, this isn't, it's not the right time, not the right location time. What would you, how would you guide someone to make a move or a decision if, if maybe the timing isn't right? Mm-hmm. But I would dig deeper into what about the timing isn't right. Say more about that because there have been times in my life where the timing was not right. (laughs) It's not right. And then, but I've said that same statement in many different quote timings, but digging a little bit deeper to what do you mean about that? So like, instead of like, oh, Kelly, the timing's not right. You live in France and you have no childcare and you have an 18 month old and a four-year-old and you just moved here and your husband just broke out in um, oh, shingles over the stress. Yeah. Right now is not the time to start your doula business. 
Okay. That Mm -hmm. adds up, but Oklahoma Kelly is like, oh, it's not a good time. You don't want to live here. Well, you don't want to live here. What does that have to do with doing your business? Like, you know, digging a little bit Mm -hmm. deeper into like, what, what about it is not the right timing and understanding, oh, is it actually, you're feeling kind of like scared to put yourself out there and your desires to be true and public. Cause when you start a business, you got to go online, you got to start create your Instagram, you're a brand, like it's very vulnerable. So is that what you're afraid of? Or is it that, you know, like what, what exactly is it here? And so when I was able to uncover that the fears were more about the vulnerability of starting a business, then like actually there is not time right now, or like, this doesn't serve, this wouldn't elevate my life. This would Mm -hmm. deescalate my life. I think that's a good question to ask yourself. And Mm -hmm. either way, it's going to be hard. Not living your dreams is really hard and living your dreams is really hard too. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, what, where are you at and which version of hard is going to work best for you right now? That's a great answer got to go deeper. Every fear is always, always going to be there, you know? And I think it's, it's, um, it's just, you have to, yeah, look, because again, it's, we're storytellers. We're telling stories all the time. And then that becomes, that becomes your reality. So yeah, that's, and that's very cool that you were in a place that you absolutely thought would be the worst place and, and look what happened, you know, you, you've seen an extreme, of course, coming from California. I mean, it must be a different, completely different world there. Completely. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, there are all types of people everywhere you go. Um, right. But the energy yeah. of that, of Oklahoma is different than the energy of California. Like the first mm-hmm. impression, the culture is just very, very, very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The individuals are the same when you actually get to know them. So that's kind of interesting and fun. And we met some amazing people in Oklahoma that will be lifelong friends with with us. So Mm -hmm. fascinating stuff, this world. (laughs) It is definitely. And I think that's a really good point. Underneath it all, we're all the same. Again, mothers want to protect their children, do the best fathers. You know, it's the universal thing. And And I want to commend you for helping people through that process and really helping them go deeper because in the, the world of healthcare on that medical level, it's in very black and white seemingly and very disconnected. So I think the work of, of a doula especially is so much deeper and, and spiritual from my understanding. That's how I approach it. Definitely. It's mm-hmm. not for everyone. Um, I definitely go deep and go hard, like, but that's yes. all I know how to do. So, um, yeah. yeah, if you're like ready to show up and examine yourself and examine the process and like really create an experience for yourself, it learning those lessons before you bring a child into the world is really can serve you a lot. It's like, mm-hmm yeah, doing some of the deep work before you have the logistics of a baby to take care of, it can really help 
shape the postpartum experience too, and then well into your identity of motherhood. So I really believe in it. I see firsthand the difference that it makes in people's lives to approach their birth from this, this way. And I feel very proud of the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. What are you most looking forward to right now? Mm. Okay. Well, I, as a doula, you're on call pretty much all the time because babies come when they come and most of them come in the middle of the night and on weekends. Do they? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and holidays. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes yeah. I'm gone for five, six hours away at a birth, but most of the time it's more like 20 to 30 hours I'm gone. Mm. So um, it's not work for like the faint of heart. It's really, really depleting work. Um, and you have to create a lot of like self-care rituals around that. Well, I have to, to sustain it and boundaries. So what I'm really looking forward to is I'm off call for the next month right now. And I'm looking forward to things like having more than one glass of wine at dinner and Mm -hmm. going on a trip with my family for a week up North and visiting some friends and family up there and just being out of town and feeling, you know, more free. Um, like I don't have to be attached to my phone all the time. So, um, I love the work that I do, but I also really value my independence and freedom. So being able, and I intentionally create pockets where I'm off call, um, so that I can have that balance and then show back up for the work more, um, yeah, just full again. So that's what I'm looking forward to right now. (laughs) Sounds great. Yeah. And you're in a new city. Yes. So So I'm just exploring it like so happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yes. That's great. How can people find you? And you do work online. So there is the opportunity to work virtually with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I um, am active on Instagram. My handle is at doula Kelly Ray and it's K-E-L-L-Y-R-A-E. And my website is kelly-ray.com. So those would be the two places to learn the most about me and my work. Um, from a virtual perspective, I'm, I love educating uh, pregnant people on the birth planning process. And I have a free birth plan template that comes with a checklist. Cause like a lot of times you have a birth plan it's like, yeah, I need a birth plan. What goes on this birth plan? And like, what even will they offer me at the hospital and what can I accept and decline? And so I have a template that you can like plug and play basically your, your preferences, but it comes with a checklist that actually shows you what all of those preferences could be. Um, so I have that for free online that can be downloaded and it comes out in a beautiful Canva template that's like designed by me and just nice to look at and your healthcare providers will like it too, because it's just one page so they can skim it and they're very busy. So they like one page birth plans. Um, and then if you want extra help and actually like how to think about the birth planning process and where to go to find 
you know, the evidence on the pros and cons about all of the interventions that could be offered to you. I have a little mini course that you can take and I keep it really low cost um, because I want it to be accessible for people to be able to have some support. It's like having me in the room with you, talking you through how to write your birth plan essentially and where to go to get the information. So that, and it's all on demand. So you can just like purchase it and watch it at your own time. And then I also do one-on-one -on -one virtual consultations with anybody who's pregnant, anywhere from, um, you know, reviewing your birth plan or, um, you know, how to actually implement your birth plan when it's time, like what to do if your doctor is like going against your birth plan, talking to you and your partner about how to be advocates for each other in the hospital. Um, so I, I do one-on-one -on -one virtual sessions for that as well. Love it. So many different And if things. you're in San Diego <laughs> and you're listening, I serve all of San Diego County and um, I am filling up, but um, <laughs> still have some spots available for sure. So yeah, okay. the word is out. The word is out. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, this was so lovely to hear your story and mm -hmm. also, you know, and the work you do, I think it's, again, it's fascinating just how people end up where they end up. I mean, it's an ongoing journey, but the process and also just the learnings that you've had and, and through your own experiences makes well, you- Thank you, Willow. You asked very good questions that allow <laughs> us to like go deep. And um, I love that. It's been really fun getting to know you and chat with you. Thanks for having me on your show. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference for visibility. And even better, share this episode with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode every other Wednesday. If you're interested in working together to elevate your online presence, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Instagram at whereiswillow. I also hang out on LinkedIn, Willow McDonough. Until then, cheers to carving your own fucking path. I love you.